Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for testimonies like Christians, testimonies like those around this theater right now, Lord, who have been changed by the power of God through Jesus Christ. And Lord, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating not a dead Savior. We are celebrating a live Son of God who is seated at his Father's throne and he is overseeing the building of his kingdom and he is working with us. He is laboring with us. He is extending his offer of salvation. So Father, we ask that as we lift the name of Jesus up, that you would be pleased and that your power would go forth. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope you have your Bibles out. I'm going to walk through a story that occurred in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to move it to Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to bring it back home to a verse in Acts chapter 3. So I want to invite you to have your Bibles out. We're going to jump right into the story, and the story begins this way in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain a little bit of commentary on what's happening. We've got Peter and John, two of the disciples of Jesus. And this is about seven weeks, a little over seven weeks after Jesus had died on that cross and he was raised back to life. And the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, had occurred. And Peter and John, they go up to the temple, they climb the stairs, they go up to the court of Gentiles, a massive court, and they get up there about the ninth hour, and that's three o'clock in the afternoon. And that was the time that Jewish people would pray. They had three times that they would really pray together very fervently. They would pray at the temple at nine in the morning. They would pray at noon. They would pray again at three o'clock. And when they were praying, a lot of people would bring the handicapped. A lot of people would bring the, the blind and the deaf and the lame. And they would sit next to some of these gates because, listen, this just makes sense, right? How many people would say that the most most liberal you are, the most generous you are, the most ready you are to give is when you're drawing close to the Lord. You're in worship. You're in the temple. So the lame man that we're about to meet is sitting next to this gate. And listen to what happens in verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. The beautiful gate, this is a massive gate. It was actually called the Nicanor Gate, many experts believe. It was a gate so big, it was overlaid with Corinthian bronze. It took 20 men to open and close it. It was a spectacular sight. So this lame man is carried there, and I want you to get inside the life of a lame man. He was born lame. His feet didn't work. His ankles had no strength. He was carried everywhere he went. We're going to find out later, if you look at the end of the story in chapter 4, he was over 40 years old. So for 40 years, he had lived the life of lameness, never ever walked in his life, a life of total dependence. 
and he's begging. Now, I want you to imagine this, that if you're handicapped and you cannot walk in the first century, then you cannot work. There were no prosthetic limbs. There were no automated wheelchairs. There were no wheelchairs. If you're going to get around, somebody's got to get you around. And since you could not work, you're going to have to beg. So this is a man whose entire life he was a beggar. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now listen, look at me for a second, because this is really weird. I mean, I just said, look at me, and that's kind of you know, normal in a theater, in a congregation, when you've got a lot of people that you're, you're supposed to be looking at me, you're supposed to be listening. But listen, it, this isn't what you do, is it, when you come along somebody that's begging? Don't a lot of us try to avert the eye contact? Right, You've got that person with the bucket next to the traffic light that's going up and down the cars, and you're praying. You know you are. You're praying, Lord, please let that turn green. <laughs> and if you don't think it's going to, you're looking for some change. And if you don't have change, you feel guilty, so you avert your eyes, hoping that they will go on. This is Peter and John. They go to this guy. He's asking for money, and they go up to him and say, look at us. Look what they say. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now it gets even stranger. I mean, you really got to put yourself in the sandals of Peter and, and John here. I mean, how many of us would have the guts to do something like this? I mean, you really got to be led by the Lord if you're going to go to somebody that has been lame all their life and say, look at me, and I'm going to give you my right hand, and you're going to rise up and walk in the name of the Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus Christ. And he reaches his right hand, Peter does, and he pulls the guy up. Now listen, if I were doing this, all I can imagine is I would just basically pull him over onto his face. And that would be incredibly anticlimactic. All the people in the temple, and there's a lot of them, they would be looking at me and going, is that Tim Ackley? Look what he just did to that lame guy. <laughs> Peter and John, they don't worry about that. They have faith. They know that something's about to happen. Look at the text. He pulls, he puts his hand down there. He grabs the lame man by the hand, and he pulls him up. Now, you got to get the imagery. The lame guy that's never walked felt strength return or strength for the first time in his feet and his ankles, and look what it says. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood. I mean, this isn't a guy that's just being gingerly and tenderly pulled to his feet. He is starting the upward motion. He can feel the power in his feet and his ankles, and he leaps up in the air. And he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, you're lame for 40 years. You've never walked You've never even once thought that one day you would walk. 
And all of a sudden, on this day, you are walking because of the power of the risen Savior, and you cannot stop leaping. You cannot stop walking. Now look at what happens. You cannot stop praising God. So his feet were healed, and his soul is healed. And now God gets the glory. But listen to what happens. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. And as they were, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. So you've got two different kinds of people here. Now listen, this is where you now participate in this. This is where you've got to say, which one are you? Are you either the people who are amazed and praising God because of what just happened to this man that they see every single day that never could walk and now he's walking and it's all because of the power of Jesus Christ? You're either that person or you are one of the temple guard, one of the Sadducees that are greatly annoyed. Now let me talk about that for a little bit because we're going to look at them. The ones that are greatly annoyed are sitting here right now and if you're utterly, utterly honest, are thinking, when is this going to be done? Man, the band was really good. That was an interesting video. That preacher, I thought he had a beard, that's why I came. <laughs> I know. But I really can't wait to get out of here because I really don't believe this message. I don't really think that highly, and like the guy in that one video, I have a lot of respect for the Christian traditions, but they're really not for me. So you're either going to be, yes, praising God, or when are we going to leave so I can get home and do the things that I want to do? So let's, let's kind of dig into that second category of people. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, this is chapter 4, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Because a lame guy got healed? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now we're talking about Sadducees. Let me tell you a little bit about them. All the high priests were Sadducees. You had four main religious groups in the Jewish society. You had Pharisees. You had the Zealots. You had the Essenes, kind of like monks of the Jews. And then you had these people called the Sadducees. And there's not a whole lot of them, but the, the few that they are, are really wealthy. They're the arist aristocratic of the bunch. They've got the power. They've got the influence. They've got the best jobs. They've got the back of Rome, and they've got Rome's back. So they've got a lot of power, a lot of influence. And now listen, they don't believe that anything happens after you die. They only believe in the first five books of the Bible. 
They didn't believe really that angels were active today. They didn't believe in supernatural spiritual events. They didn't believe that God predestined people. They didn't believe that God sovereignly ordained salvation. They believed that they were in control of their lives. And after you die, there's nothing else to live for. That's why they're called the Sadducees. Some of you still aren't going to get that. You're going to get that while you're eating your ham and then choke, and I'm going to feel terrible. <laughs> Listen, they're not the best kind of people. They're the first ones to persecute the church. They're the ones that masterminded the crucifixion of Christ. They really don't have faith. These are the Sadducees. And we'll look at what happens. They put Peter and John in jail. Now, this is so amazing to me. They came upon them, chapter 4, greatly annoyed because they're teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. Now, that would be like me preaching right now, and all of a sudden the police coming in and flex cuffing me and taking me off to jail. And then all of a sudden, all of you say, wow, you know what? I really think what Tim was saying is right. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and I'm going to get me some of that flex cuffing. I mean, because look what happens. This is amazing. It was many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000 people put their faith in Jesus when the two guys preaching are taken to jail. And they're taken to jail overnight because it's illegal in the Jewish court system to have a trial at night. So this is around 5 o'clock in the evening. So they're put into a jail, and in the temple precincts, there was a, there was a, a, a large room called the Hall of Hewn Stone. And so the next day, they take Peter and John, and, and it appears they take this lame guy that's now healed. They had put him in prison again as well. They take all three of them. They bring them to the Hall of Hewn Stone, and they bring the Sanhedrin. Now, let me tell you about the Sanhedrin. 71 men. The 71st is the high priest, in case there was a tie vote. These are the senatorial committee of the Jewish people. They have the power. They're made up of Sadducees. They're made up of scribes. They're made up of priests. And they get together, and they bring Peter and John, and later in the chapter, the lame guy that's now healed, and they begin to question him and question them. Let me read it. Verse 5, and on the next day, the rulers and authorities and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with the high priest and Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all were of, who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, that's a strange question. I don't think you've ever asked anybody that. I don't think I've ever asked anybody that. I mean, have you ever gone to somebody and said, hey, what, what name, in what name did you do that amazing athletic shot? Or what name did you do that amazingly kind act? We just don't speak like this, so what's it mean? Well, Peter's going to 
explain to us what it means, because he's going to say this. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. You know, there's an amazing story in the Gospels. Jesus was the best teacher. He didn't just sit in a classroom. He put his disciples out in the field. He would teach them and say, okay, now you go do this. And so he sent 72 of his disciples out, and he says, I want you to preach the gospel. I'm going to give you the power to heal lame people. I'm going to give you the power to make people whose lives are destroyed well, and I want you to come back, and we're going to talk about it for a little bit. And they came back, and you want to hear what the disciples said to him? They were amazed. They said, Jesus, even the demons obey your name. So what's that mean? So let me talk about that for just a little bit. Does that mean that when you've got a, a sore back, you just kind of print out the name of Jesus and stick it on there and it kind of feels better? Does that mean that when you're playing a basketball game and you can't make anything, that every time you release that ball, you're just saying, Jesus, 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 and it's going to go in the rim? <laughs> Believe me, if it did, I would have had a much better basketball game. What's it mean then? It means that you've got the power, the authority, you represent the one who has that name and he gives you the power to do what he's wanting you to do. That means, that's what it means to speak in the name of Jesus. Now, is that kind of magic? Hocus pocus? I gotta tell you, you know, I, um, I was a Star Wars crazy fan. Amen. Pastor Matthew, too. He's even got a little statue of Darth Vader. I think he prays to him. I don't know why he's in our church. He does, every time I walk by his office, I think there's a really short guy in there ready to kill me. Scared every time. But I was a huge, huge Star Wars fan. And the Empire Strikes Back, Luke is upside down, his feet are buried in the, in the ice of the cave, and that ice creature is coming to kill him, and he begins to concentrate, and he begins to move the lightsaber a little bit, and just in time gets the lightsaber to come to him. Listen, I'm going to confess something. I was 14, I was 13 when that movie came out. I used to stand in the shower trying to get the shampoo bottle to move. I'm not kidding. I don't know if I've ever admitted that before. I would be like, come on, I need more midichlorians. Move! I did that. I'm not kidding you. And then I would get out of it. I mean, this is kind of an odd image, right? Me taking a shower. Why am I saying this? To speak in the name of Jesus is not magic. It is the power of God coming through the risen Savior to do what he wants done. It's faith in Jesus, not faith in the name. How many of you had a favorite blanket growing up? 
Come on, don't, I'm, don't let me be the only one embarrassed. Help me, raise it up. All right, you know, I know Paul Harrison, he still owns it. I had a favorite blanket. I would come home to this blanket after school. I was around 17. I would come home to this blanket. But when I was much younger, now listen, I don't know if you'd ever want to be my parent. I can guarantee you wouldn't have wanted to because all of us, all of us boys used to have BB guns and we would have target practice in our bedrooms. And so I remember one time my Daisy BB gun, the kind of pump up kind that you could put a little more power into it after the 15th pump. I remember taking my blanket because I was bored. A bored Tim Ackley is never a safe thing. So I'm sitting in my room on my bed and I'm wondering, I wonder if my blanket can protect me if I shoot myself. <laughs> so I took my favorite blanket, which I believed was God in cloth, and I wrapped it around my finger and put it at the very end of my Daisy BB gun and pulled the trigger. That was the day I got saved. My idols came off the shelf. The, the blanket did not protect me. It was one of the most painful things I've ever done. I go out crying and screaming to my mom. I'm around eight years old, and she puts butter on my finger. I mean, who does that unless you're over 80 today? Butter was like the panacea. You just put butter everywhere. So is that what it means to speak in the name of Jesus? It's like your magic blanket that can protect you from everything? That's not what it means. It's about faith. And Peter goes on. If you want to know how this lame man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you. And then he goes on and he says something that's amazing. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You know, I spoke a couple days ago on the circle of Easton to the police officers for their fallen officers, the third year I've done it. And one of the things that I always watch, and I'm amazed by this, as long as I'm reading stories, everybody's locked in, they're glued in. But the moment I begin speaking about Jesus, I watch this, everybody starts to fidget, everybody starts to cross their arms. I had two ladies get up and leave in the middle of talking about Jesus, the only way to, to the Father. Listen, you've got people who are amazed 5,000 men come to know Jesus, and then you've got Sadducees who see the sign and the wonder and the power of God right in front of them, and they're greatly annoyed, and in fact, they go on to warn Peter and John, don't talk about this anymore. There's nothing we can refute because the guy's right here, but we don't want you talking about it. What's it mean to have faith? You've got one group that has faith, and then you've got another group that won't have faith. I'm going to end with this, and it actually, I'm going to answer that question. What's it mean to have faith in Acts chapter 3? And his name, verse 16, 
by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now let me go out on a limb. You ready? I'm included. Every single one of us were lame by birth. I'm talking spiritually lame. We could not stand in God's holy presence. Why? Because David says in Psalm 51, a man after God's own heart says that in sin, my mother birthed me. In other words, I was born a sinner. That means that by nature, when I came into this world, Tim Ackley, November 6, 1966, my nature, the constitution of my soul was to be a sinner. And it really didn't take me long, not long at all to really learn to choose to sin. And that's true for every single person in this theater. By nature, you were born a sinner, and you then began to choose to sin. And every one of us have this thing inside of our heart. Maybe you've never seen it. Maybe you've never recognized it. But you will see its symptoms. You've got a throne inside of your heart. And you really like, and I really like, to be up on that throne. You know what I used to do to teens when I was youth pastor? I would take them out, and when I could see that they were really rebelling against their parents, really defiant, I would always take them to Burger King, and I got a couple teens here right now that I used to do this to, and I'd get one of those Burger King crowns, and I would fit it on their head, and I would say, that's what you look like before God. You are your own make-believe God, and you want to call the shots to your parents. You like that throne, and I like that throne. And what has to happen is that somebody has to lead me off the throne because I don't make a very good God, and I can't make a better version of me. The more effort I tried when I was 18 to 21 years old, it just made a, better, a worse version of Tim Ackley. Everything I tried to do could not bring me happiness, could not bring me satisfaction. It kept driving me into misery and failure. So God woke me up. He said, Tim, I can do this for you, but you got to get off the throne. So let me open your eyes for a moment to the truth. And when God opened my eyes to the truth, I began to believe. Now listen, this is what it's like, and this is my hope for all of us, and especially if you're here today and you've never really put your faith in Jesus, and you really don't know what that means. Listen, here's what it means, that Jesus can support the weight of your soul. And it's like going up in New York, where I'm from, in central New York, and we used to ice fish, or rather, we used to ice skate in the winter. And listen, it was terrifying to go out on that frozen pond because you never really knew, is it going to hold my weight? And when you're out there ice skating, you can hear little cracks and you can hear little pops. And what I used to do is I would put one foot on the ice and then I would gradually put a little more of my weight and to see if it was going to crack, see if I was going to fall through. And when it didn't happen, then I would put a little more of my weight on there. And then I would move a little bit out to the deeper end, still stayed in the shallows just in case. And then finally, my confidence got to the point where I could go out into the deep part and I didn't worry anymore and those pops were just normal 
And that's my goal today is that maybe if you've never gone out on the lake, never gone out in the pond and put your soul's weight on Christ, realizing that you were born by nature a sinner and it didn't take you long to be a sinner, to choose it, well, maybe you can put your weight just a foot out on the ice and then maybe a little bit more in a few weeks and then maybe get out into the deep end and really trust that Jesus Christ can save your soul. So what's it mean to have faith? You ready? It means that finally you realize, you know, I am a sinner. And it did open up a chasm between me and God. And just like sin in your marriage, just like a fight in your marriage makes for a very awkward evening, This made for a very awkward life because the God who created you is not walking in friendship with you because you've got something that's between you and him. And he says, I can remove it for you. That's why Jesus died. He died to pay for that sin on the cross. And I'll be glad to take it away from you. And what I'm going to give you is life. And I'm going to give you my spirit. And I'm going to teach you to get out into the deep end of that frozen pond and not worry anymore and skate in freedom and to invite people out there with you. Why? Because there is no name other than Jesus, no power, no authority other than the name of Jesus by which men and women may be saved. Amen? That's how I'm going to pray for you. Can you bow your head? I'm not going to ask you to get out of your pews. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just simply going to pray for you. And if you could close your eyes and truly listen to this prayer and truly speak to God, well, that's what I'm going to invite you to do. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, this story, this incident in the temple has a lot more to do with us than maybe we've ever imagined. Lord, we were all born spiritually lame. Now one of us could stand before you in our own goodness. For you are holy and we are not holy. We were born in this nature, this constitution to sin, and it didn't take long for us to choose it, for us to learn to sin, and Lord, we needed your help. And you came along and you said, you know what, silver and gold, that's not what you need. What you need is to be restored to health. What you need is life, that you can stand in the presence of everyone and that you can stand in the presence of God. And you have bent down your righteous right hand and you have offered to pull us to our feet and save us and to lead us out into the depths in the center of that frozen lake so that we could swim, not swim, but we can skate in freedom. And we are inviting people to be out there with us. Father, faith is the willingness to trust. It's the willingness to believe that you can support our souls. 
and that we are safe with you. So Lord, I pray, Father, if there's anybody here that has not yet learned to walk by faith, they have not yet learned to trust you for their soul, Lord, I pray that you would lead them out on that ice. Maybe it's just a foot. Maybe it's just one foot on the ice today. That's all right, Lord, lead them. Lead them out even deeper until they are walking with you and they have trusted in you to save their souls. It's your name we pray and we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.